Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Praise the Lord. You know, about 50, almost 52 years ago, <clears throat> I was in the Army, and uh, we had our very first baby in the Army Hospital in El Paso, Texas, Fort Bliss. And um, they handed me this little bundle of joy and said, congratulations, you're a father. And uh, when they did, that really, really messed me up because it dawned on me when they handed me that baby and said, you're a father, it dawned on me that I didn't have a clue how to be a father. I thought, what an awesome responsibility, what a tremendous responsibility, a heavy responsibility, and I don't know what I'm doing. And so I said to the Lord right there holding that baby, I said, Father, I don't know how to be a father. I have become one. I are one, but I don't have a clue how to be one. And I need to learn how to be what I've become. And I vow to you, I'm going to get in your book, and I'm going to find out how to be a father. Amen. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys, you know, they'll have a baby and become a father, but they never go ahead and be one. A lot of ladies will have a baby and become a mother, but they never go ahead and be one. So we, a lot of people uh, raise their hand in church and say, I accept Jesus and become a Christian, but they never be what they've become. Amen, Brother Terry. That's a really good word. Well, thank you. I thought you'd enjoy that. But, you know, we have the awesome responsibility to learn how to be all these things that the Bible tells us that we have, in fact, become. God calls us more than conquerors. Well, we, we are more than conquerors. We need to learn how to be one. Amen. It's a delight to be here with you this morning. This is one of my favorite churches. I love Pastor Mike and Beth and the family and and uh, love coming here, and you guys have always been faithful friends and partners, and and uh, I, I love faith people. I love word people. I love people that are that are uh, you know have been faithful and steady and stable uh, year after year after year after year, and that's certainly Mike and Beth Webb. And uh, so I, I love it whenever we come here. I love it whenever I'm we're around them and, and around you guys, and I love ministering here. So it's always a joy, and it's always an honor to do that. Praise God. And uh, we're excited about being here, excited about what God's doing. We left Marietta yesterday, and it was 94 degrees, and got over here, and it was 64, so it's better over here. Praise the Lord. And, uh, uh, of course, we're from Texas. We're used to being hot, but uh, my goodness, uh, what, a, what a surprise that was last night. So anyway, well, stand up with me, if you would, please. There's product out there on the table, resources that'll help you, that'll bless you. I didn't go out there and look and see what my office sent, but I know that there's no theory back there. There's not anything that I think might work. I, I know that's all 55 years of third world missionary evangelism that I know for a fact works. And then there's a brochure out there you might like to have and take home with you about our, our humanitarian aid organization called, we've named it after my, my wife Jackie who's in heaven now, JMICF, Jackie Mize International Children's Foundation. And this church has been a sponsor and a partner with us in that for a long, long, a lot of years. And uh, so this is the latest report that we did uh, this last Christmas. I've started doing a Christmas thing years and years and years ago. 
and I didn't have really much help, and so I, I just kind of limited it to, to Christmas and then once in a while when people had a need. But since Renee and I have been married, we've been married almost nine years now, and so she has taken the bull by the horns, and she has really kicked this thing into high gear. She told me the other day, she said, I think, I think we can feed 7,000 children a month. And I said, 7,000 children a month? Are you kidding me? She said, I really believe we can do that. And I said, well, I, I'm for it, and you've taken the bull by the horns, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll back you and help you and, and do it. I said, but here's my problem. I said, just remember, I, I can't ever go to those orphans and say, sorry, you don't get to eat this week because uh, the partners didn't give. So I'm not going to commit to something I can't, I don't think we, we can do. So I, I know we're going to have to operate in faith and, and have to have this thing, uh, you, you know, hitting on all cylinders. But anyway, if you want to get this, take it home. It tells you all the countries we were involved in, all the orphanages we were involved in, the human trafficking uh, programs that we were involved in to stop human trafficking, uh, housing projects, widow projects. Uh, uh, we bought cars, we bought vehicles, we bought a tractor for an orphanage and, and a plow uh, for an orphanage in Zimbabwe, Africa, and dug lots of water wells and, and so on and so forth. And I think just in the last three just in the last three years since since COVID started, I think we've given away almost almost a million dollars, uh, and so uh, we appreciate your involvement in that. And that brochure is back there if you'd like to uh, have it and take it home with you. So let's pray, Father, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. Thank you for ministering to us by your Spirit. Thank you for speaking to us by the Holy Ghost today. I thank you, Father, that faith comes by hearing the word. And as we hear the word this morning, faith will rise in this house. Faith will rise in this house. I've already asked you and talked to you about this, that I'll not speak of myself nor in the flesh, but that the Holy Spirit, the greater one that indwells me, rise up big within me now. Think through my thoughts, speak through my lips, minister words, words, words that'll get on the inside of us and create faith, for faith comes by hearing the word. So as we hear the word this morning, Father, faith will rise in the house. And those watching online, the faith will rise where they are, in a hotel room or a hospital room or their own living room. Faith will rise because of the word. And as our faith rises, you're able to touch us at the point of our faith and do miracles. And we thank you for it and give you glory and honor and praise and majesty and dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, you may be seated. You know, for lots of years... What are you doing? Oh, you want me to talk about those? Renee just corrected me. She said it's a quarter of a million dollars. Well, I'm, I'm in faith. I'm, I'm thinking a million. <laughs> a quarter of a million dollars. Well, let's go ahead and do the million. Amen. Let's speak it in. Call it in. Declare it in. Uh, there's, a, there's 11 CDs in this series on spiritual authority. You know, there's been a number of people documented uh, that have called us over the years or contacted us and said, Brother Terry, I'm, I've got stage four cancer. I'm dying. Uh, the doctor says there's not any, any chance, any hope, and I don't have a lot of time. And um, in fact, Renee and I, just before we got married, we've been friends for 40 years, but just before we got married, she called me and said, there's a lady in her church that I had known forever and ever as well. 
Uh, and she said, she's got cancer of the bone, it's stage four, blah, blah, blah. The doctor said, no. And, and I said, well, Renee, I will send her, uh, and, and it won't charge her, I'll just send her this series on spiritual authority. And I said, tell her to eat it. It's not listen to it one time, put it away and say, that was cute. That was a nice little point Brother Terry made. But eat this thing. I mean, get it on the inside of you day and night, night and day. And and she did, and MD Anderson pronounced her completely cured of cancer. And uh, and that's happened a number of times with people with stage four cancer, but it's not something you just listen and say, okay, that that's nice. I mean, God's word is meant for us to just, just I mean, get into and get on the inside of us and have it squirting out our eyes and our ears and our nose and our mouth and just, I mean, just, just talking the word and doing the word all the time. And, uh, and I, I, there's been numbers of cases now of people uh, that, that that very same thing has happened to. And I've just sent it to them for free. Uh, when they contact me, they say, I've got cancer. Please pray. And I say, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I say, I'll send you this and I'll send it to you free as my gift to you. But you have to promise me you're going to eat it. You're going to listen to it. You're going to get into it day and night, day and night, day. And every one of those people that we've done that to, uh, they've uh, they've been pronounced cured of cancer. So that's a, that's a, uh, it's just a word, but there's 11 CDs in here, so that's a lot of homework. And then our old book, More Than Conquerors, is back there and available to you. The Iron Did Swim is a tremendous uh, message that the Spirit of God gave me quite, quite a while ago. Um, it's all about the supernatural. And then there's T-shirts out there. This one is one of my phrases I say all the time, God still uses available mud. And I, I'm glad he does still use available mud. Amen. But anyway, there's things out there. There's things back there. They'll help you. They'll bless you. They're, we brought them for you. We didn't bring them for me. And, uh, and they, will, they will be a blessing to you. And uh, when you get them on the inside of you, it's going to make the difference. Amen. Amen. I mean, it is going to make a difference. You know, we are Christians. That's a different category. That's a different animal. That's, that's a different citizenship. Paul said, you're not just mere men. Are y'all here? You're not just mere men. In other words, you don't think like your neighbor. You don't think like the guy at work. You don't talk like them. You don't think like them. You don't act like them. You, you don't live like them. You're, you're from a different planet. You know, you're living on this, on this planet, but your citizenship is heaven. You operate by a different set of rules, by a different set of laws. You don't operate like everybody else does. Things that are true for them aren't true for you. You, you live on a higher plane. Amen? And you know, for a number of years in America, I have hated, I mean, I've hated, Mike, for people to ask me over the last probably 10, 12, 15 years, uh, I've just hated for people to ask me at dinner. I, I go preach somewhere and then go out to lunch, go out to dinner, whatever. And uh, they'll say, somebody during the meal will say, now, Brother Terry, how do, you, how do you find the church in America? And I've hated that because my answer is not good. And so I'd usually try to change the subject and try to get them going somewhere else. And, you know, if they just pin me down on it, and I say, well, I, I don't think it's doing too good. You know, I'm, I'm not happy with the church in America. It's, it's not, you know, what it needs to be, not what it once was. And, uh, and so I, I've, been, I've been disappointed and upset about America itself. Uh, we're under attack. Everybody say we're under attack. 
And we need to understand we're under attack. The church is under attack. You know, the devil's plan is smite the shepherd and scatter the sheep. And uh, the more he can do to scatter the sheep, the better off he likes it. But uh, that's not God's plan. Are you here? And Brother Hagin used to tell us this. He would say this to us all the time. I know he said it to Mike a gazillion times and said it to me personally and said it in, from pulpits all over everywhere. He'd say this. He'd say, now, boys, if you want to know if you want to know what makes the supernatural happen in church, if you want miracles to happen in church, if you want the Holy Ghost to show up in church, he said, it will be, it will be when the unbelieving believers leave. Now listen, they're believers. They're Christians. They love God. They're coming to church, but they're not believing. And so at some point during the service, they get done. They get through. And so they leave. Brother Hagin always says, when the unbelieving believers leave and the believing believers stay, the Holy Ghost shows up and does miracles. And I've discovered that's true over all these many, 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 many years. And uh, over the years, you know, the church and the devil has tried to just shorten the services and shorten the services and shorten the services and shorten the services until we're just like at the church down the street. You know, for years and years and years, we knew that there weren't going to be any miracles in the Baptist church or the Methodist church or the Presbyterian church or the Catholic church or the, or the or whatever church down the road. We knew there weren't going to be any miracles there, but there were going to be, they were going to be at the Pentecostal church or at the Word church or the Faith church. And then about 10, 12, 15 years ago, that all stopped and we became like them. We, we, we used to make fun of them because we'd say, you know, they got to get out at 12 so they can get to the restaurant. And we go ahead and stay till two, and by the time we get the restaurant, we don't have to wait in line. We just walk in and eat. We said that a lot, and it was true. And we said, you know, they're not going to have any salvations. They're not going to have any healings. They're not going to have any miracles. They're not going to have any move of the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and so we did. But, you know, over the years, we just started trying to act more and more and more like them. And now, man, we tried to get out, you know, so we can beat them to the restaurant at 12. And... We don't have any miracles anymore either or any move of the Holy Ghost either or salvations either or filling the Holy Spirit either. We just like everybody. God never intended us to be like everybody else. And so there's what I call, I've always called in churches, uh, what I call surface noise. Surface noise is, is like when you're preaching, I'm a guest speaker, I show up in the church, and when I'm preaching, and whatever time they're usually used to getting out, y'all don't get scared. I'm not talking about preaching long today, and I know Beth's already given a disclaimer that I will. But uh, and she's the she's the pastor, one of the pastors. So I, so I've got the, you know she she confessed it. So if I do it, because she spoke it into existence. <laughs> Longest I've ever preached in one service is ten and a half hours. But you know I don't I don't I don't feel that anointing today. But I I didn't then either. But, um, but there gets to be a time when the people uh, are used to getting out. And so when the clock hits that time, it doesn't matter what the preacher's doing, they're through. And all of a sudden you hear the surface noise. You hear the Bible's cases zipping. You hear the purses zipping. You hear the gathering up of the books and the notebooks and the pencil and the, and the kids. And, and they're done. And so if they're done, then the preacher figures, well, if they're done, I might as well be done because they're not listening anymore. There's no sense of me preaching. 
And so there's been this surface noise all these years that I've just hated because I see what it's done to the church. But you know what? About a year ago, about a year ago, that stopped, in my meetings anyway. All of a sudden, there was no surface noise. In church after church after church after church after all over California, all on and up into Oregon, all over on the East Coast, all up and down the West Coast, all in the middle of the country. It doesn't matter where I've gone for the last year, solid year, from June last year to June this year, there has been no surface noise. Of course, today could be the first day, you know, maybe, maybe today. But there's been no surface noise, and the people haven't left. The believing believers have stayed, and the Holy Ghost has moved. I can tell you're excited about that. Amen. And Renee can tell you it's true. It's absolutely true. There's just been no surface noise. There's just been no nobody leave. And, I, and I've tried to quit time and time and time again in church after church after church after church. And people yell out and say, don't stop. Don't stop. Keep preaching. Keep going. I was in one church and the guy behind the camera back there was going, doing like, every time I started to stop, he'd say, he'd be doing like this, you know. And, uh, and, and it's just happened over and over and over and over and over. And uh, we, just did, we just did 12 services in North Carolina a couple of weeks ago, uh, two services a day, Monday through Friday, and then the, the Sundays on each end, so 12 services. And I mean, everyone, every service, those people just sat there uh, and wouldn't leave. And they'd holler, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit, don't stop. And I mean, we had miracles and had miracles and had miracles. Had one medical doctor came in on a cane and uh, he threw that thing down and came walked up and down the platform, several steps on the platform. He walked up and down, walked up and down, gave us a testimony from a medical position of what all was wrong with him and what he couldn't do and how God had healed him and just had marvelous, wonderful miracles. But you know, uh, we, we gave time to the Holy Ghost and we gave time to the Lord and there was no, no surface noise and no no shutting down and quitting. Uh, and uh, I think that the church is going to have to come back to that. Now, I'm not saying preach long for just to have a long service. Nobody wants a long service if nothing's happening. Nobody wants to hear a guy stand up here and flop his jaws if, if nothing's going on. But when the Holy Ghost is talking, we need, to, we need to give place and give time to it. Amen? 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 I want to share a word with you that the Lord gave me quite a while ago. I've been preaching it a lot this year. And then I, I, was, I heard Bill Winston preach the other night. And uh, I, I went to Nancy Dufresne's, Renee and I went up to Nancy Dufresne's camp meeting in Marietta this week. And we just got there for the last two nights and, and Dr. Bill Winston was speaking. And, and I, I, I sat there on the front row and listened to him preach on Thursday night. And I was absolutely embarrassed. And I, I leaned over to Renee and I said, I don't know whether to be happy, sad, proud, mad, or just embarrassed because he was preaching the same thing I've been preaching. And uh, I mean, it was like I could hand, hand, sit there with my notes, you know. He'd start to say something. I leaned over to Renee and tell her, tell her where he was going next. And I hadn't heard him preach it. He hadn't heard me preach. But you'd swear we were using each other's notes. So, you know, the Holy Ghost is just saying some things. And, uh, and so I want to talk to you about this, and I didn't get it from Bill Winston. I got it from the Holy Ghost, and he didn't get it from me. He got it from the Holy Ghost. But uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about where, where are you from? Again, you're not just mere men. You're not just 
earthlings. You're not citizens of this planet. We don't think like, talk like, act like, live like uh, everybody else. We're not, we're not subject to the beggarly elements of this world. We, we believe in a supernatural God. Amen. Now, I go all over the world. I've seen all the dead gods. They, they, they're not worth anything. God said about those dead gods, he said, those other gods, they're no gods. He said, they have eyes and can't see and ears and can't hear, mouths and can't speak, if they have throats and can't make a noise. But see, our God is a supernatural, miracle-working, creative God. And there, there, are, there are two worlds, and we, we Christians seem like we haven't figured that out. But uh, the Apostle Paul makes it real plain to us that there are two worlds. There's the earthly world, and there's the heavenly world. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul says it like this. It almost sounds like double talk if you just read it straight across and don't stop and think about what he's saying. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, he said, while we look not at the things we can see. What? He said, we don't look at the things we can see. He said, but we look at the things we can't see. What? He said, because the things we can see are temporal, or they're temporary, or they're perishable, or they won't last. And he said, and the things we cannot see are eternal. So he's telling us there are two worlds. There's an earthly world, and there's a heavenly world, and he wants to know which one you're looking in, which one you're operating in. And he said, see, all of our lives in, in, as humans on planet Earth, from the time we were babies, we started learning and being taught and trained by our own experience, by our parents, by our teachers, by, by everybody that ever comes around. We have been trained and taught that the five physical senses is the real world. That if we can see it, it's real. If we can smell it, it's real. We can taste it, it's real. If we can hear it, it's real. It, it, whatever is the five physical senses, then that's real. I can see that chair. I can touch that chair. So therefore, it's real. Now, Paul said, no, don't look at that. He said, don't look at what you can see. He said, you're, 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 you're on a lower level. If you're just believing what you can see, then you're missing it. He said, we don't look at what we can see. We look at what we cannot see with the physical eyes. We look into the spirit world. He said, because what you can see, what you can smell, what you can taste, what you can touch, he said, those things are temporary. Those things are perishable. My, years ago, I did lots of missions conferences. I was a young missionary, and I'd, I'd come into the States, and I'd do missions conferences. And every time I'd do one, I'd go down to a local print shop, and I'd have, I'd have hundreds, sometimes thousands of, of, of stickers printed up in the, I'd have them about this, about this wide and about that long. And uh, uh, they had one word on them, all capital letters, one word, perishable. And I'd go in that missions conference and I'd pass those out to people. I'd give them 100 or, or you know, take however many you want. you want. You want 100, you want 50, you want 200, just take them. And go home and start taking those and sticking them on everything at the house. Because everything at the house is perishable. Stick one on your car, it's perishable. Stick one on your clothes, they're perishable. Stick one on the, on the furniture, it's perishable. Stick one on the jewelry, stick one on the bass boat, stick one on the guns, on the fishing gear. Stick one here, stick one there. Everything you can put one on your head, uh, you're, it's perishable. 
How many, how many of y'all have looked in the mirror lately and realized that you don't look like you used to? Are, are y'all here? Renee and I were telling some young kids the other day, you know, about old people. We point out some old people, you know, I say old people, I'm talking about my age. You know, and, and we, we said, see those old folks? You don't think anything about them. But, you know, you just, you just dismiss them. They're old, they're decrepit, they're feeble, they're this, they're that, the other. I said, but, you know, she used to be a 16-year-old girl and really pretty. He used to be a 16-year-old, 17, 18-year-old boy, all muscled up and, you know, great. And I said, you know, you're going to look like that. Those are real people. They used to be as dumb as you are. <laughs> but see, it's perishable. Everything, everything, everything you can see, taste, smell, touch, it's perishable. You know, people buy, I get tickled at people going buying a new car. And then they'll go to, when they buy a new car and they pull up to a Walmart or a Costco or something or a church, they'll park way out in the parking lot. So nobody will dent their car, you know. And they just all uptight. I mean, I mean, for weeks and weeks and weeks, they're just uptight that somebody is going to scratch their And I, I used to tell people, just, just kick a dent in it when you get it, get it over with. And then, <laughs> then, you'll, then you'll sleep better at night. Then just get it over with. Because it's going to get some scratches on it. It's perishable. You know, I just blew a transmission a couple of weeks ago and had to put a new transmission in. It just, things don't last. Are you here? You may go to the finest closed emporium in your city or state, buy some several thousand dollar suit or several thousand dollar dress or, you know, thousand dollar pair of shoes. I mean, something ridiculous. And I mean, I mean, you walk by one, you walk by one little post and just catch one little, and, and it pulls a snag in it. It's perishable. Perishable. Hello? This is not the real world. This is not the world we're supposed to be concerned with, yet this is the world everybody is concerned with. But Paul said, no, 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 no. There's two worlds. Don't be looking at this world. Don't look at the things you can see. They're perishable. If you can touch it, it's perishable. It's not going to last. If you can see it, it's perishable. It's not going to last. He said, we need to learn to look at the things we can't see. We need to look into the spirit world. We need to look into the heavenly world. You know, the old, old, old science fiction movies from way back when, uh, they talked about the fourth dimension, right? Well, see, there really is a fourth dimension. That's, that's the world God lives in. And that's the world he wants us to understand and live in. Are you here? Are you sure? So where are you from? Which world are you from? Which world are you living for? So I've told people for years, you need to know the teller at the bank of heaven on a first name basis, just like you know the teller at your bank. You know, Renee was singing that song, that old, 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 old song on uh, you can't, you can't outgive God. You can't beat God giving. You just can't beat God given, no matter how you try. 
Because the more you give, the more he gives to you. So keep on giving because it's really true. You know, I used to preach for Fred Price down at Faith Dome year after year after year for, I don't know, 25 years or so. And, and usually when I was there during, during, during the meeting or missions or whatever, he, he literally would get up and receive the offering himself, and he personally would sing that song. And I'd sit there and listen to Fred sing that song, You Can't Beat God Given, and, I, and I'd look at him and I'd think, well, you know, he's one of the richest guys I know. He, he must know what he's talking about. You just can't beat God giving. We, the laws of sowing and reaping are real laws. They're, they're, they're based on heaven, so therefore they work in earth. God said to Noah and the eight people that came out of the boat, God said to them after they, out of the ark, he said, now I'm giving you four immutable laws, four unchangeable laws, four laws that are incapable of change as long as time remains. These are laws of God. As long as time remains, there will be seed time and harvest. God thought that up. Nobody's ever going to change that. He said there'll be heat and cold. There'll be night and day. There'll be summer and winter. Long as long as time remains, whether you like it or not, you can't change any of it, that's going to happen. Those are immutable, are laws that are incapable of change. God thought up sowing and reaping. God thought up giving. God thought up planting and harvest. He, that, that, he invented that. No farmer invented that. God invented that. And because it's a God law, a supernatural law, a heaven law, then it works in the earth. Y'all sure are quiet today. You know, you know I, I, I preach a message and have for 50-something years now uh, called Living to Give. And Living to Give is a lifestyle, not just a sermon, not just a message, but it's a lifestyle that I learned as a young, 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 green as a gourd missionary, I learned from a, from a missionary who became my spiritual father, and still is. He's a, he'll be 101 years old in, in August, and right now I'll be down there for his birthday party in Mexico. But uh, I, I learned living to give from him. His name's Wayne Myers. And uh, uh, it's a lifestyle of giving Living on planet Earth with the purpose of blessing somebody. Living on planet Earth with the purpose of giving. I'm here to give. I'm here to bless. I'm here to lift. I'm here to love. I'm here to care. I'm here to share. I'm here to embrace. I'm not here to get. I'm here to give. It's a lifestyle. And when you start operating that way, then when you, when you give because you can't help it, then you'll receive because you can't stop it. You know, if you go home today and take the kids or the grandkids out in the backyard and cut up a watermelon and hand it to them and let them eat it and they spit the seeds out, uh, pretty soon there's going to be a watermelon vine growing. Just accidentally. Just accidentally. Why? Because it's a law. If that seed gets in the ground, it's going to produce. Now, you can go out and actually till the soil and make some rows and actually plant them and take care of them and really have some watermelons. But you're going to have them just accidentally just by spitting the seeds out. Right? 
So it's the same way in your offerings and your tithing and your giving. You can just haphazardly do it, and, and God will still bless you accidentally. You'll still get blessed just accidentally because you came in church, and you sat there, didn't think about it, didn't pray about it. But pastor said, let's receive an offering. You say, oh, yeah, I, I ought to do that. And you pitch some money in the, in the offering plate, no faith to it, no prayer on it, no believing on it, no nothing on it. Uh, you're still going to get a harvest from that just accidentally because if you sow, you're going to reap. But then you can come in here and do it on purpose. You can pray about it before you get here, think about it before you get here, talk about it before you get here, make the check out before you get here, you know. I mean, Renee and I can't hardly wait to get it out of our hand. You know, when Pastor was receiving the offering a while ago and she was making the check out or either already had it made out, I forget which she did today, but, uh, you know, and then she couldn't find anybody to give it to, you know, she's she trying to get rid because it doesn't become seed sown until you get it out of your hand. And you don't become the sower until you get it out of your hand. Once it comes out of your hand, then it becomes seed sown, and you become the sower. And the Bible tells us that when the sower sows the seed and it becomes seed sown, that God will take the seed sown and bless the sower back with a harvest. So we can give haphazardly and still get just accidentally like spitting a watermelon seed. You'll still get some blessing from God. But you can really give that thing some thought and some prayer and some, some intention and, and get a, a serious harvest back from God. Praise the Lord. See, where are you from? Which world are you living in? Which world are you looking to? Which world are you thinking about? Which world means the most to you? See, the church is trying to outworld the world. And that's a dumb thing to do. And you can't do it. You, you can't outworld the world. They're better at it than you are. I go in a lot of churches that they, they, they make them look like nightclubs these days. They're trying to outworld the world. They're trying to lure the people from the nightclub here. Why would they do that? Why would somebody leave a nightclub that's good at sinning? that's good at being the world, that's anointed at being the world. And why would they come to the church where you're trying to be the world? What would you possibly have to offer them? The reason people have left the nightclubs and the bars and the, the degradation and sin and, and pig pens and slop buckets that they've been in all their life is because they see something better in the church and say, I want to live like those people. I want what they've got. But if you're trying to look like them, why would they come here to take a lesser, a lesser version of what they can get out there? They can get real pig slop out there. Here, you're just trying to act like it. Why would they do that? We need to quit trying to outworld the world, and we need to be the church. They're dark. We're light. I go, I go into churches that, that turn the lights out during worship. I, Renee and I have been in churches where during worship, you can't see your hand in front of your face. A couple of years ago in Texas, we went in a church and, and they, they marched us down and set, set us right on the front row right here, these two seats right here on the front row. And we had Renee's 90-year-old mother with us. And uh, they set her on the end seat on the, uh, across the aisle from me, just like these two seats are, this end seat here, end seat here. I literally could not see her mother. And they turned the lights out. 
That's dangerous. I mean, somebody fall down, you wouldn't find them until the song service is over. Or kids trying to find their parents. Or how about human traffickers just come in and take your kids and you wouldn't even know it, the church is over. Why would you turn lights out in church when there's not a scripture anywhere in the Bible that says God's dark? Everything in the Bible says God's light. Now, I know why you do it at the bar. I know why you turn the lights out at the bar and the nightclub because that woman you're with in your wife. I get that. But in church, we need the lights on and you're supposed to be with the right people. We need to quit trying to outworld the world. See, the church has gotten so desensitized because of Hollywood. Hollywood has desensitized everybody because Hollywood does a great job, fabulous job, tremendous job, first-rate job, excellent job of special effects. So Hollywood is the master at the spectacular and the master of the sensational. Boy, Renee and I were in a hotel room the other night. We turned on a movie, and I tell you what, cars were blowing up when, when it doesn't even make sense. I mean, cars going down the road and it blowing up, and it, it goes over and up in the air and turns over three or four times and lands over there in that lane over there, and 18 different people run into them, and then they flip, and they flip, and it's fire and blowing up, and, stuff, and then they shoot somebody, and brains and blood splatters all over the wall. and uh, it's, it's sensational. It's spectacular. And so the church has gotten desensitized to that to where in our minds, in the back of our mind, we're wanting God to be sensational and spectacular. And we read all those miracles in the Bible and we just kind of get bored with them and say, that's not sensational. There's no special effects. That's not, that's not spectacular. No, it's miraculous. See, God doesn't want to be sensational. He doesn't want to be spectacular. He is miraculous. He doesn't want your life to be sensational. He doesn't want your life to be spectacular. He wants your life to be miraculous. And miraculous is better because miraculous is real. That other stuff is fake. Amen? All those cars blowing up, going down the highway for no reason, that's fake. They don't really do that. You know, years ago, I was taking my grandsons hunting. I had several grandsons with me, I think four of them. And they were all, you know, this big, this big, this big, and I'm taking them deer hunting. And early in the morning, I was in the van and or the Suburban, whatever I was driving. And uh, we stopped at a Cracker Barrel. Of course, you, California didn't hardly have any Cracker Barrels. We stopped at this restaurant called Cracker Barrel. And uh, I fed them breakfast. And as we were walking out of Cracker Barrel, I saw a, 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 a rack of CDs, of movies, and they had old TV shows on there that I grew up on as a kid. Some of you gray-headed folks don't know what I'm talking about. They had The Lone Ranger. They had Roy Rogers. They had Ren 1010. They had Lassie. And I said, wow, guys, look at this. You guys will love this. So I bought all those. And we got in the, we got in the vehicle, and I, and I opened one up, and I stuck it in the tape player or the video player or whatever, the CD player, and uh, I took off down the road. And they watched that for about 15 minutes, and they said, Papa, do we have to watch this? I said, what? 
Don't you like that? And they said, no, it's boring. Because see, when the Lone Ranger shot somebody, he always shot the gun out of their hand, and there's not a speck of blood anywhere. Never. I was watching Gunsmoke last night. Matt killed three or four people. It wasn't a spot of blood anywhere. Nobody had any blood. But he killed every one of them, man. I mean, killed them deader than a doornail, not a speck of blood. But now if that was Hollywood today, why, there'd be blood splattered everywhere. And they said, no, it's boring. Because there's no special effects. There's no spectacular. There's no sensational. So they were bored. Does that make sense? And see, if you don't watch out, the church gets in that situation with these marvelous, 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 marvelous supernatural acts of God in the Bible, and we just say, that's not near as sensational as Hollywood could do it. I remember telling the Lord one time years ago, I lived in Tulsa, and I said, Lord, if you'd let me run things, if I was you, thank God I'm not. If I were you, I said, I, I would tell Oral, or Roberts, or, or, or Dad Hagen, Brother Hagen, where the Ark of the Covenant is. I said, I know you know where it is. I mean, Indiana Jones found it. Surely you know where it is. <laughs> and I would show Brother Hagen or, or Brother Oral where it is, and they could bring it to Tulsa and put it at the campus of ORU at the prayer tower, open it up, there's the Ten Commandments. There's Aaron's rod that budded. There's the showbread. And people could come from all over the world and go in there and see that. And it would prove you're really God and people would believe in you. Isn't that, wouldn't that be cool? And he said, no. He said, that'd be sensational. And that'd be spectacular. And he said, I'm not interested in that. I want people to believe that I am and that I am a rewarder of them that diligently seek me. I'm a faith God. I want faith people. I'm not interested in proving that I'm God. See, if he wanted to prove he's God, he could do some stuff. Isn't that right? But he's not interested in that. He wants you to believe what you don't see. He wants you to believe in that other world. He wants you not looking at this world, what you can see. He wants you looking in that world, what you can't see, because this world is temporary and that world is eternal. And he's much more impressed with you if you believe something you can't see. He said to Thomas, Thomas, stick your hands in these holes. Stick your finger in these holes. Put your hand in this hole on my side. And be not faithless without faith, Faithless, but believing. Thomas fell down and said, my Lord and my God. And he said, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. He said, blessed are they that have believed and haven't seen. Well, he wasn't talking about Peter and Mary and James and John. He wasn't talking about the staff. They didn't believe nothing. None of them believed it. Not even his own mama believed it. When he said, I'll be back in three days, you'd have thought they'd have gone out to the cemetery with their guitars and tambourines and Kentucky Fried Chicken and video cameras and, and just... Had camp meeting till he blew out of the grave. Not a one of them was there when he got out of the grave, three, 72 hours later. Not a one of them, not even his own mama. And she didn't believe it. He was talking about you. Blessed are they that believe 
and haven't seen. If you believe in Jesus and you haven't seen it, then God's all excited about you. But if you're just believing stuff you can see, God's not... He doesn't think much about you. Are y'all here? So where are you from? Where are you from? What, what world are you from? Where, where are your, your citizenship? Where, what are you looking to? What are you, what are you thinking about? What, 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 what's, what are you praying about? What's real to you? Because if you want to hook up with God and you want him to hook up with you, you're going to have to start looking at that other world. See, my definition of a miracle has always been this. A miracle is because God. If there's any other explanation for it, it's not a miracle. If you, explain, if you can explain how it happened, then it's not a miracle. Amen? A miracle's unexplainable. A miracle, there is no explanation except God did it. You know, I'm a pilot and I like aviation and the laws of aerodynamics and all that kind of stuff. And you know, uh, all, all these people get on TV all the time and say, believe the science, believe the science, believe the science. Well, uh, science says that a bumblebee can't fly. The laws of aerodynamics say a bumblebee cannot fly. The laws of aviation say a bumblebee cannot fly. His body's too big, his wings are too small. It's absolutely aerodynamically impossible for him to fly. He cannot fly. Science says it cannot happen. A bumblebee cannot fly. Well, how many of you know we, he does? We see him. So if you ask a bumblebee, excuse me, Mr. Bumblebee, how is it that you, you can fly? The scientists say you can't fly. Your body's too big. Your wings are too small. It's impossible to fly at all. How, how do you do that? He'd just smile and say, because of God. There is no explanation for that. Are y'all here? There is no explanation for that except God did it. I remember when I was 19 years old, 1969, we put a man on the moon. I had people come to me and say, oh, Terry, Terry, Brother Terry, they, they, we put a man on the moon. It's a miracle. And I said, oh, no, it's not a miracle. It's sensational, and it's spectacular, and I'm glad about it. I'm happy about it, but it's not a miracle. We know how he did it. We can do it again. He just took an expenditure of a few billion dollars. It took some men and women with intestinal fortitude to get in a rocket and fly to the moon and get out and drive a Jeep around, pick up rocks and bring them home. Uh, but we know how to do it, and we did it before. We can do it again. That's not a miracle. My kids used to come to me and say, Daddy, Daddy, we did our homework. It's, it's a miracle. I said, oh, no, it's not a miracle. <laughs> it's sensational, and it's spectacular, and I'm proud of you. I'm happy about it, but it's not a miracle. It just took you, you paying attention to what you're doing, putting a little elbow grease out there and getting your job done. Quit daydreaming, looking out the window, and get your job done. And now that you proved you can do it, you can do it again. But if you can explain it, it's not a miracle. I like miracles. Amen? I like miracles. I like the supernatural. I like that we have a supernatural God. I like that he has no limits. I like that you have no limits when you're believing him. I like that when you're looking in the fourth dimension and out of the world, you can see things that other people can't see and you can do things that other people can't do. Now, you can be just mere men if you want to be. You can be like the church down the street. Or you can be 
a Christian, a Christ-like one, an imitator of King Jesus that operates in the fourth dimension, that operates the supernatural, that believes the impossible, that sees the invisible, that does the incredible. Amen? You know, the world is getting worse and worse and worse and worse and dark and dark and dark and gross darkness, but the church doesn't have to. We're supposed to be the light that shines in the darkness. We're supposed to let our light shine. We're supposed to be doing the incredible, the impossible, the invisible. You know, if you run into somebody at work or at the mall or, 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 or anywhere you're at, and they tell you they're dying with this or that or the other, they got, they got COVID, they got leukemia, they got cancer, they got this, they got that, they got the other, uh, and, and, and they'll, they'll tell you all about it, and they'll tell you the doctors say they have no hope and they've got six months to live. You can tell them, hey, if you come to my church, our pastor will lay hands on you and pray for you because God's doing miracles right and left. Well, who else can do that? You're not going to tell them to come down to the bar and get healed. You're not going to tell them to come to the ball game and get healed. You're not going to tell them to come to the movies and get healed. No, the only place they're going to get that is from God. Doctors saying, hey, there's no hope. We can't do anything for you. Well, yeah, but God can. Well, how's that possible? Well, it's not. It's supernatural. It's incredible. It's invisible. It's that other world. Or you can just be mere men, live like everybody else, talk like everybody else, think like everybody else, be limited like everybody else. The economy's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. You know, dear Lord, I got here the other day and saw California gas prices. Or you can believe God for the... Miraculous. Amen. I was listening to an old tape of John Osteen uh, preaching at Brother Higgins' camp meeting decades ago. And he said, I don't care if gas goes to a dollar a gallon and bread goes to a dollar a loaf. God's going to take care of us. <laughs> I think, oh, Brother John, if you can see it now. <laughs> but God's still going to take care of us. It doesn't matter what it costs. Now, if you're mere men, it doesn't matter what it costs. People use this term, I live on a fixed income. Don't ever say that. Don't ever say that. I'm on a limited budget. Don't ever say that. What world are you living in? What world are you looking to? If you're looking to God, it's an unlimited budget. It's, a, it's, it's not a fixed income. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Are y'all with me? Jesus, in John chapter 8, you don't have to turn there. John chapter 8, 58, he said, uh, before Abraham was, I am. And the people said, what? What? You're not even 30 years old, and Abraham's been dead for centuries. It's impossible. There's no way you could be here before Abraham was. Jesus, oh, yeah, I, I was here before Abraham because I, I was in that other world. I went in this world. I was in that world. I stepped out of that world into this world. And Abraham stepped out of this world into that world. 
but I was before he was. Oh, yeah, that's clear as mud. Thank you, Lord. What about 1 Kings chapter 18? You know the story. I won't take, I won't take time to tell you the whole story, but you know the story. Uh, Elijah, the, Elijah the prophet said to one of the worst people on the planet, King Ahab, God says he's one of the worst people on the planet, never been anybody ever, it says in the Bible, uh, that was like Ahab that sold himself to work for the devil. And uh, the prophet said to, to Ahab, he said, let's just, let's just prove whose God is God. How long are you going to halt between two opinions on who's God? Baal's God, Jehovah's God. Let's just prove it today. Of course, there's a, there's a drought. The prophet has spoken and said, it's not going to rain until I say so. So it didn't rain for three and a half years. So there's right in the middle of a drought. And he said, gather, gather all those prophets of Baal. See, the Bible says that Jezebel, his wife, Ahab's wife, Jezebel, says that she had 450 prophets of the groves that ate at her table and 400 prophets of Baal. And these, these are 850 Satanists and one preacher. And the preacher said, let's just prove whose God is God. And Ahab said, how are we going to do that? And he said, gather up all those, all those prophets that eat at your table every day, gather up those 850 Satanists and bring them here. And I don't know why Ahab did it, but he did. He did what the prophet told him to do, brought them there. And then uh, Elijah said, okay, let's uh, kill, a, kill a cow and put it up there on the altar. And uh, let's build an altar, put a cow on top of it. And uh, you, you 850 witch doctors and sorcerers and soothsayers and prognosticators and fortune tellers and demon-possessed idiots, y'all uh, call on your God, call on Baal. And you tell him to send fire from heaven. And uh, you can take as long as you want. You can pray, you can sing, you can cry, you can, you, whatever you want to do, I'll, I'll just wait. Y'all just do what you do until you get through. And if, if Baal sends fire from heaven and consumes the altar, consumes the sacrifice, I'll denounce Jehovah and serve Baal. He said, but that's not going to happen. He says, so when y'all get tired and y'all get through and y'all get done, he said, then I'll call on Jehovah God and he'll send fire from heaven and consume the altar and then y'all can all serve Jehovah. And so sure enough, they did. Those guys, man, they cut themselves. They, they, they ripped their clothes. They cried. They carried on. They went on for hours. Well, I just started making fun of them, saying, maybe you need to get louder. Maybe your God's hard of hearing. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's gone on vacation. Finally, they just wore themselves plumb out and said, okay, we're done. And he said, okay, you ready for me to do it? And they said, yeah, you're, it's your show. And so he said, okay, dig a trench. They dug a trench. He said, start pouring, bring barrels of water and pour. And I mean, they poured water on there. You know the story. Poured water on there until the altar was soaked, the cow was soaked, the, the ground was soaked, the trench was full of water. And then Elijah called on Jehovah. And fire came from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, consumed the altar, consumed the ground, consumed the water in the trench, it was all. And, uh, and then that prophet just took the sword and killed all those guys. Now that's a hard job for one man to kill 850 guys. But he did. 
how did he do that supernatural? What do you think those guys, what do you think 850 guys were doing while he was killing them? They're not just sitting there letting him. He supernaturally, under the power of the Holy Ghost, killed those 850 guys. Now, my question is, where, where, when we read that, you've known that story all your life, all your Christian life, you've known that story, and you've probably never given it any thought at all. You just kind of see it in your head when you read it. You just kind of see a little lightning bolt come down. No, no, no. It was fire from heaven. Where did it come from? It came from that other world. That other world's just right here. It's just right here. Any 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 uh, Star Trek fans, you know? <laughs> beam, beam me up, Scotty. Remember remember the beam me up, Scotty? And they'd get in this they'd get in this little teleporter thing, and they would dematerialize. And then they'd materialize somewhere else. Well, God thought that up. Spock didn't think that up. Scotty didn't think that up. Captain Kirk didn't take that, think that up. Hollywood didn't think that up. God thought that up. And, and God, in, in Christianese, in Christian language, we call that translating. Philip was translated from way out in the desert. And then it says, and he was found over in Azotus preaching. Well, God translated him. God beamed him up, Scotty. God dematerialized him here, materialized him here. He stepped out of this world here into this world. And then he got over here to Azotus and he stepped out of that world back into this world. And there he is. Amen. But that other world's just right here. And it's very, 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 very real but we've got to be aware of it. We've got to be aware that that world is more real than this world, and that world's eternal, and this world's temporary. Amen. So it wasn't just a little lightning bolt. It was fire from that other world that consumed all of that. And then whenever he, whenever he did that, Jezebel sent him a tweet. She tweeted him. It was her last tweet. And she said, I heard you just killed my 850 prophets that eat at my table. And this time tomorrow, you are a dead man. And if you're not a dead man by this time tomorrow, then so shall, so shall the gods do to me. In other words, they'll kill me too. Boy, she should have never said that. That was her last tweet. And you know the story about her, 2 Kings chapter 9. Jehu went riding into town. The Bible says she heard he's coming into town, so she plaited her hair and painted her face, and she ran over and threw the windows open to look at him, watch him ride into town, and he rode into town, and he looked up there and saw her in the window and saw a eunuch there, a soldier there next to her, and he said to that soldier, throw her out the window. And that soldier grabs him and throws her out the window. The Bible says she fell at Jehu's feet, and the blood splattered up on his horses, and the blood splattered up on the wall, and then Jehu just ran over with his chariot. They had insult to injury. She should have never tweeted that message. Are y'all here? Where'd that fire come from? It came from another world. Where'd that strength of Elijah uh, killing all those 850 guys, where'd it come from? It came from that other world. 
Bible tells us Samson killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. How, how in the world, where'd that come from? How'd that happen? What were those thousand soldiers doing while Samson's killing them with the jawbone of a donkey? It's supernatural. You can't do that. Right? We don't give much thought to it. We say, oh, Samson killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Yeah, think about that. That was supernatural. That was otherworldly. It came from the fourth dimension, the, the other world. Are y'all still here? Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle in the Bible. And, and we just kind of bypass them, you know. What about in Exodus 17, whenever Moses is out there with two to three million people and they're thirsty, there's no water anywhere. And God said, hey, we're thirsty. The people are thirsty. What are we going to do? And God said, take your staff and hit that rock. And he hit the rock and water pours out and, and, and had enough water for all those two to three million people to drink. Well, then that, that water wasn't in that rock. Where did it come from? Where did it come from? It came from that other world. That other world's more real than this world. Amen. <clears throat> what about when they when they said in Numbers eleven they said, uh, "Look, we're hungry. We hadn't anything to eat in a while. We remember. We remember. I think it's really kind of weird. It says this in, in, in Numbers. It says we remember the cucumbers from Egypt. Well, you're hungry and you're thinking about cucumbers." They said, we remember the cucumbers from Egypt and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. We, we remember that. And we're hungry. And they were fussing at Moses and Moses fussing at God. And God got pretty bent out of shape about it. And he said, I tell you what, you want some, you want some meat? I'll give you meat. He said, I will give you quail. And you'll not eat it for five days. And you'll not eat it for 10 days. And you'll not eat it for 20 days, but you'll eat it for a month until you are fed up with it, until it's coming out your nose. Y'all ever read Numbers chapter 11? He says, you'll eat it until it's coming out your nose. And you're fed up with it and don't want any more. Because God wasn't happy with them. And it says, if you go read that, it, it says that God brought quail up out of the sea. Quail don't live in the sea. Where did they come from? They came from that other world. Hey, I'm a quail hunter. Come on, man. I, 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 I go kick some bushes around or take some dogs out with me, and you know, I bust a covey of quail, and there may be 10 in a covey or 15 in a covey, maybe even 20 in a covey, but, but enough to three, 3 million folks. The Bible says God sent the quail up from out of the sea and they were stacked three feet deep, two cubits, three feet, a cubit's a foot and a half. They were stacked three feet deep, a day's journey that way and a day's journey that way. So in other words, it takes you a day to walk that way and a day to walk that way, and there's quail three feet deep the whole way. Because you've got to feed two to million, three million folks. And so they ate quail and ate quail and ate quail and ate quail until they didn't want it anymore and it's coming out their nose. Well, where'd those quail come from? They came from that other world. Are, are y'all with me? 
See, we're so used to Hollywood, we want it to be sensational, spectacular, but miraculous is a lot better. Miraculous is a lot better. See, you can't explain that. You can't explain how, how well, you can't, you can't just have some phenomenon that, that climate change caused those quail to show up there. No. <laughs> they were three feet deep and, and a day's journey that way and a day's journey that way, and they came out of the sea. That's miraculous. Amen? Where was the manna from? They ate manna for how many years? 40 years. 40 years. Every day of the week except the Sabbath. Every, every Sabbath it didn't fall. Where did it come from? It didn't come from a manna tree, manna plant. It came from that other world. I'm trying to get you to realize there's another world. And it's right here. It's just as close to you. Every time an angel showed up in the Old Testament, every time an angel showed up in the New Testament, where do you think they came from? I think Christians think that when the angels showed up and all those different times when the angels showed up, that, that they just have these big old wings and they've been, they been flapping for several light years from heaven to get to where you're at. No, no, they just stepped from that world to this world. And when they got done doing what they're supposed to do, they stepped right back into this world and they're gone. Acts chapter 12, Peter's in prison. There's 14 guards guarding him. There's two guards in the cell with him, two guards outside the cell. He's chained with two chains. The doors are locked. He's in the inner ward of the prison, the second ward of the prison, and an angel walks in. How did he do that? He walked through the wall. He, he just stepped out of that world into this world. Kicked Peter in the side and said, get up, Peter. The chains fell off supernaturally. The angel did that. He told Peter, get your shoes on, get your clothes on, come with me. And when they left, they went through the door. The angel didn't go through the door. He just stepped out of that world into this world, but now he's got Peter with him, so they went through the door. And they walked through the prison, and the Bible says when they got to the great iron gate of the city, it opened of its own accord, supernaturally. Then they got a couple of locks down the street, and the angel pat him on the back and said, hey, buddy, I got to go. I'll see you later. And then he just stepped back into this world, and he's gone. He didn't just start flapping and flapping and Fly back to heaven. Oh, he just stepped out of this world into that world. The Bible says after the crucifixion, all the disciples had seen Jesus except Thomas, and so they were all together, John chapter 20, and, and all of them except, except Didymus called, Thomas called Didymus hadn't, had seen him. Thomas hadn't. Thomas said, I won't believe unless I can put my fingers in the holes and hand in the side. Uh, and, and it says the windows were shut, the doors were shut and barred. And Jesus appeared. Well, where did he come from? The doors are shut. The windows are shut. They're barred. He just stepped out of that world into this world. He said, hey, Thomas, put your fingers here. Put your hand here. On the road to Emmaus, the Bible tells us that after the crucifixion, two disciples are walking on the road, going back to Emmaus, and Jesus just appeared. Where did he come from? He stepped out of that world into this world. And he said, what's going on, guys? You seem kind of depressed. And they said, oh, are you just a stranger? Don't you know what's been going on? Don't you know what horrible things have been happening? And he said, what things? 
Oh, well, Jesus, they took our, the, our rulers took him and crucified him and buried him. We thought he was the, the son of God. We thought he was the, the, the guy to come to change everything. We, we, and he's dead. And it says that Jesus started in the Old Testament, started way back and gave him all the scriptures in the Old Testament concerning himself. And it says that their hearts burned within them. And then they got to a mess, and, it's, and, and it says that Jesus acted like he was going to go on. He acted like, I'm just going to keep on going. And they, they told him to come in the house. And he came in to eat with them. And, and whenever he did, he reached over and took that glass and turned it upside down. He took that bread and broke it. And when he did, they said, we've seen that before. And it says their eyes were open, and they realized who he was. And when they did, what happened to him? He's gone. He's gone. Sitting there at the table, and all of a sudden, he just stepped into that world, and he's gone. So they got up and ran all the way back to town and said, we, we've seen the Lord. He is risen indeed. Right? But he didn't get up, and he didn't eat dinner and, and then get up and thank him for it and, and then walk on his way and call him an Uber and leave. No, he, he just stepped out of that world into this, and he's gone. See, we need to go back and relook at all these miracles in the Bible. And start asking ourselves, every time we read one, start asking us, how did that happen? Where did that come from? We bypass them because they're not sensational. They're not spectacular. No, they're miraculous. We need to understand how they came from that other world. They came from there. Amen. Y'all still with me? What about the little... Widow lady in 1 Kings 17. The Bible says that she had enough oil and enough meal that she's going to make herself. She said this out of her own mouth. I'm going to, make, I'm going to go outside and get two sticks. All I need is two sticks to make a fire. I'm going to make my son a cake and me a cake. We're going to eat it and die. That was her future. That's all she had planned. And she goes out and runs into the prophet sitting on the well. And he said, lady, give me a drink of water, please. And she said, sure, she did. And he said, lady, make me a cake. And she said, sir, I'm sorry, I can't make you a cake. I've only got enough oil and enough meal to make me a cake and my son a cake, and we're going to eat it and die. That's what she said. We're going to eat it and die. That was her future. We're going to eat it and die. There is no tomorrow. We're going to eat it and die. And he said, lady, make me a cake first. Make me a cake first. I see ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, they'd all get upset about that. Say, I preacher asked that widow woman for her last food. Shame on him. No, that wasn't about him. That wasn't for him. God's already feeding him with ravens and water supernaturally, right? That was all about saving her life. It's all about saving her son's life. And he made the most powerful, powerful statement. The next scripture after that says, he said, lady, make me a cake first and after. See, now there's an after. A while ago, there wasn't an after. She said, we're going to eat it and die. He said, no, make me a cake first. And after, make yourself a cake and your son a cake. So now there's an after. Now there's a future. And lo and behold, she did it. She made the prophet a cake, and she had enough for her son and enough for herself. So she thought she had enough for two cakes. She had enough for three. And so the Bible says, King James says, she just moved, he moved in with her. Scandal in the church. Preacher shacks up with a widow woman. The, the, it says that he moved in with her for a time, and the King James, the margin says for a whole year. 
And so for a whole year, she operated in faith, and every morning she took that little bit of meal, that little bit of oil, and for breakfast made that prophet a cake. And then she had enough to make herself a cake and her son a cake. And then at lunchtime, she did it again, and at supper time, she did it again. And that went on for a year. And she had to do it in faith every time, in faith, in faith, in faith. Well, my question is, where did the meal and oil come from? Where did it come from? She only had that much. Where did it come from? It came from that other world. We, we, because we're desensitized by Hollywood, we want to be sensational, spectacular. We kind of feel like that all of a sudden she walked in there and grabbed that meal barrel and that oil uh, bottle and it just started rumbling and shaking and all of a sudden oil started squirting everywhere and meal started squirting everywhere. They're up to here. No, 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 no. It was a faith thing. Every time she had to do it by faith. They weren't just floating in oil and meal for a year. In fact, if they were, the neighbors would have killed them for it. The neighbors are starving. Amen. So where did it come from? It didn't come out of, that, it didn't come out of those crock pots, those, those pots. It came from that other world. What about the widow that came to the prophet and said, hey, I'm, I, my, my husband's dead. I'm a widow woman. I've got two sons, and we're in debt. And my husband left us in debt, and so the creditors are going to come put my sons in jail. And he said, lady, what have you got? So you got to have something God can multiply. You got to have something you can plant. You got to have a seed. She said, Well, I got a little bit of oil. He said, That's enough. He said, Go borrow pots. Send the boys out to borrow pots. He said, You borrow every pot you can. In fact, he said, And borrow not a few. In other words, borrow a bunch, borrow as many as you can. And he said, When you do, shut the door and start pouring oil. So she got all those pots in there and shut the doors and had that little bitty bit of oil she had and began to pour the first one and it got full. And so she poured the second one and it got full. She poured the third one and she kept pouring pots of oil. And the Bible says when she got to the last pot and it got full, the oil ran out. Brother Hagin always used to tell us it's the natural things that make the supernatural work. When you do natural things, it'll make the supernatural work. But when you run out of the natural, the natural stops, the supernatural stops. So whenever she didn't have another pot left, and no more natural, then the oil stopped. What if she had had three more pots? She'd have got three more pots full. What if she had 10 more pots, 100 more pots? What if she'd have made the boys go into a pot-making business? I mean, the more, the more pots she had, the more oil she'd have got. So she thought she had nothing, and she had no oil in her kitchen. Amen. And he said, now go sell, go sell that and live on the rest. Where'd that oil come from? Where'd it come from? She started pouring in here, but it was coming out of here. Right? Wasn't sensational, wasn't spectacular. It was miraculous. Because that other world is real. It's the real world that we need to start being aware of and being cognizant of and being Realize that, hey, I'm not looking at what I can see. Pastor, they're telling me I got to pay these debts, and I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do this. Well, let's start looking to that world. If you're looking at this world, it's not going to work. If you're looking at this world, one plus one is two. If you're looking at God's world, one plus one is 10,000. God said a thousand, one can put a thousand of light, two can put what? 10,000. That's God's math. 
There's a word that they've come up with the last few years here in this country called synergy. And if you look up synergy in the dictionary, uh, it, it says that you have a power or a force and you add an equal force to it, but instead of it just becoming twice, one plus one is two, it's, it actually becomes more. And, the, and the, the definition, one of the examples the dictionary gives, it says if you've got one ox and you put another ox with it, he said instead of you having two ox power, you'll actually have three ox power. So with synergy, one plus one is three. In this world, one plus one is two. In synergy, one plus one is three. In God's world, one plus one is 10,000. Because he invented it. And see, we've got to start thinking like that. We've got to start thinking, God's got lots of money. And he shares with me. When Renee and I got married almost nine years ago now, uh, she'd come to me with different th bills and stuff. We, we got to have money for this. We got to have money for that. We, we need to send $10,000 to Romania. We need to send $1,000 to India. We need to send $5,000 to Africa, you know, or whatever. And, and, and my standard answer to her has always been, God's got lots of money and he shares with us. God's got lots of money and he shares with us. I'm not looking at this world. My money's not coming from this world. It's coming from this world. In this world, there's lots and lots and lots of money. I'll tell you a story that, that I've, I've only told in one other church once ever because it's such a weird story. So you'll be the second church. And I've known this for like 35, 40 years, and I've just never told it. It's just a weird story. But T.L. Osborne was my good friend, dear, 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 close, close, close friend, T.L. and Daisy. And uh, he told me that when they were young evangelists, that they hooked up with another guy who was a young evangelist, and the three of them did meetings together. And this was back like in, I don't know, the 40s, 50s, something like that. And he said, Terry, one day, said, we were in a hotel room. So we only had money for one room. He said, so the three of us slept in the same bed. He said, I slept in the middle. The guy, Daisy slept on one side of me, and the guy slept on the other side of me, three of us in the bed. And he said, we had prayed because we had to have some money. We had zero money. We were really facing some financial stuff. And he said, so we went to sleep. He said, we woke up the next morning, and the room was covered in money. He said, we were covered in money. The room was covered in money. He said, we got out of bed and just started gathering up the money. Well, where'd that money come from? It came from that other world. Now, I've always preached that, you know, God doesn't counterfeit money, that, you know, he just, and, and he doesn't. But, but he obviously knows where money's at. There's money around this world that's lost, that's hidden, that's stolen, that's, that's buried. He knows where it is. Angels just went and got some and brought it out of that world into this world and dumped it in his hotel room. I can tell y'all like that. Hmm. See, it's the miraculous. It's not the sensational or spectacular. It's the It's the miraculous. Let me just give you one more. It's 1130. Uh, what, about, uh, what about when Jesus came down to the seashore and Peter, who's a professional fisherman, has been fishing all night long? Now, in that part of the world and in that lake, the, the professional fishermen, the, the commercial fishermen fished at night. That's when the fish showed up, and that's when they let their nets down, and that's when they caught the fish at night, then they sold them during the day. And Peter and his partners had fished. They were in the fishing business. They were professional fishermen. That's what they did. And they had fished all night. You know the story. And uh, they had caught zero, nothing, none, no fish. 
So Peter, Jesus comes along and says to Peter, said, hey, can I borrow your boat to preach in? And he said, sure, help yourself. So uh, while Peter's up there washing his nets down, well, Jesus gets in the boat and ministers. And so then because he gave to Jesus and Jesus is going to give back to him. And so whenever he got through, he said to Peter, he said, hey, buddy, he said, uh, launch out in the deep and let down your net. And Peter said, uh, <laughs> sir, I'm a professional fisherman. You don't know anything about fishing. I'm in the fishing business. That's what I do for a living. My partners and I, we're, in, we're fishermen. That's what we do. We fished all night. And there are not any fish out there. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll do it. Be a waste of my time, but I'll do it. And so he launched out there and threw the net over, and uh, you know the story. It wasn't sensational or spectacular, but it sure was miraculous. They got a net breaking, boat sinking, load of fish. He called to his partners. They pushed out. They let their net down. They caught a net breaking, boat sinking, load of fish. I was talking to Rick Renner about this not very long ago. We was at breakfast and we was talking about it. And he said, you know, Terry, he said, they still have, they still have the original plans for Peter's boat in Jerusalem in the museum. And he said, those, those boat designs have never changed. All these, all these 2,000 years, they've never changed the same, same boat, same dimensions as when Peter was fishing. He said, so we know what size it was. We know how much weight it carries. He said, they carry 6,000 pounds before they sink. So if they got two boats at 6,000 pounds apiece, then started to sink, they caught 12,000 pounds of fish. Now, for professional fishermen, it's a pretty good haul. They went back to the shore and did what with all those fish? They sold them, Right? Well, where'd those fish come from? Just like the quail. Where, where'd the quail come from? Where'd the fish come from? The fish that weren't there. They hadn't been there all night. 12,000 pounds showed up at one spot. Where'd they come from? They came from that of the world. They just, they didn't come from the sea. They came from that world through the sea. Right? <laughs> we're going to have to start being, being otherworldly minded. Remember Jesus was preaching. They got mad about it. They took him out to the edge of the town. We're going to push him headlong down the cliff, and he disappeared. Passed through their midst. How did he do that? He stepped into this world. Got out there on the other side of them and stepped back into this world. Beam me up, Scotty. Right? A lot of the miracles I've told you about over the years, you know, that, that, that's happened with me, uh, those things are all miraculous. They're not anything sensational about it. You know, I picked up the hitchhiker. He stuck a gun in my ribs. He said, I'm going to kill you. I said, you can't kill me. I'm a man of God. I got authority over you in the name of Jesus. And he shot at me five times at point blank range. The bullets didn't hit me. Well, how that happen? Where'd those bullets go? Supernatural. Right. Little baby girl they brought to us in Guatemala, had an American medical doctor with me, and, and uh, she, she's 13 days old and extremely sick. 
And the doctor took her, and, 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 and within a few minutes, she died. And he said, well, she's dead. And I picked her up and held her up uh, before God to, to, to raise her up. And little did I know it was going to take 12 hours. I'd raise other people from the dead before just that quick. And this, this went on for 12 hours. I prayed for her for 12 hours. And then after 12 hours, God raised her up. And she's still alive today. Well, that's supernatural. That's, that's, a, that's, that's not from this world. That's from that world. Amen. Miracle after miracle after miracle, story after story after story. You know, we get, we get testimony. Jackie's been in heaven now for 10 years, and uh, we still get stories, uh, testimonies all the time about her book, Supernatural Birth. That women that couldn't have babies, now they got babies. You know, the doctors told Jackie all her life since she was a little girl, you can't have children. Well, I, she told me that when we got married. She said, I can't have children. I said, oh, yes, you can. And I uh, gave her a bunch of scriptures, and we had four. And, then, and that, that ministry has just gone on and gone on and gone on all over the world. I mean, all over the world. We, there's, not a, there's not a time goes by, that a week goes by, we don't get testimonies about supernatural childbirth. Well, that's supernatural. And they said to me yesterday, the day before, she said, by the way, I've got a bunch of letters in my suitcase I brought with us from the office. We need, you need to read about supernatural childbirth testimonies. I'm, glad, I'm, I'm happy to read them. But they're supernatural. God knows how to give you a baby. Where'd that baby come from? It didn't come from here. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Amen. You know, my wife, Jackie, I said to tell you one more. Let me, let me tell you this one. I will quit. My wife, Jackie, all her life, she liked, I don't know where she got it from, don't know how it happened, but she really, best she liked diamonds. I mean, when I met that girl, she had a thing about diamonds. She didn't have any, never had had any, but she thought diamonds were a girl's best friend. And uh, so when we got engaged, I bought her an engaged diamond engagement ring, some little old, I don't know, order of a carrot probably. I'm sure it wasn't half a carrot. And, uh, uh, and she wore that engagement ring, you know, and just, just thought it was wonderful, marvelous. And one year, we were probably the year, I guess, maybe... Renee, that we met you and Dean. Renee was on staff, and Dean was on staff at John Osteen's Church Lakewood. She was the organist, and Dean was the associate. And uh, we came in there just a month after my hitchhiker story happened. It happened in October, and John had these meetings on Thanksgiving, so just a month later. And Brother Osteen had me come up and tell the story. He had heard about it already, and he had me come up and share the hitchhiker story about the guy shooting at me and the bullets not hitting me. And so whenever I did and they heard it, they came running up to me after service, and we just became fast friends because they, there wasn't hardly anybody word of faith around there at the time, and they were word of faith, and so they, we had a kindred spirit, and so we just locked up, the four of us. And uh, uh, anyway, he would have these missions conferences, and John was famous for taking up numbers of offerings during a service. I mean, t taking up four offerings in a service is no big deal. It, it, was, it, it was kind of commonplace for him. He just took offerings all the time. And, uh, and especially in those missions conventions, different missionaries have a need, he'd take an offering up, you know. And, and so I knew he was going to do that. So every service, every day, they'd last several days uh, over Thanksgiving holidays, every service, if I had a, a big bill, like a five or a ten, uh, I'd stop at the corner grocery store and change them into ones so I could give an ever offering. I'd want to miss an offering. So 
So he'd take up an offering for missionary, and I'd put a dollar in, then I'd put two dollars in, then I'd put a dollar in, and and you know, and this one particular night, I was out. I was I, we we didn't we didn't have anything, no no credit cards, no money, no checking account. We didn't have money to get back home on. I mean, we it was it. I'd give him my last dollar and the last offering, and so he calls up a, a, a missionary from Europe that uh, that I didn't care for. He wasn't a faith guy. He was a beggar. He cried and carried on and begged for money all the time. And I just didn't care for him at all. You know, I mean, I'm a word of faith guy, and he's a, he's a begging, crying, you know, manipulating. Anyway, never mind. And so my point in that is I wouldn't have given him a dime if I had some. And so, uh, so Brother Osteen uh, asked him what he needs, and he says, well, I'm, 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 I've got... I've got a Bible school at home in, in Europe, and he said, I'm training, I've got seven Bible school students, and I'm training them to be just like me. And I'm sitting there thinking, dear God, that's all we need is seven more of you, you know. And, uh, and so I just sitting there, just, just zoned out, tuned out. I didn't care. And, uh, and so Brother O.C. said, well, what do you need? He said, well, I need a printing press. He said, I need a printing press to print gospel literature. So Brother Osteen said, oh, look at here, this missionary needs a printing press to preach the gospel. Let's, let's buy him a printing press. Let's, you know, blah, 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 blah. Why well, wouldn't have given that guy a dime? And, and I didn't have to feel guilty about it because I didn't have a dime. So, <laughs> and I'm cool. I'm happy I don't have any money. And, uh, and, and so we're standing up. He has the congregation standing up, and I'm standing up, and Jackie's standing beside me. And all of a sudden, I, I hear her kind of... <laughs> Like that, and I feel her on my arm. I feel her shaking a little bit, and I look at her, and I said, what's the matter? And she looks at me, and she's crying, and she said, I think, I think God's telling me to give my diamond ring to him. Boy, I just looked back up the front. I thought, I'm not going to touch this with a 10-foot pole, man. I'm not going to say nothing. And uh, so she just kept on just snubbing and crying, and, you know, and, and so finally she poked me, and I said, what? She said, do you, think it's, do you think it's God? Do you think God wants me to give my, my ring to him? And I said, well, the, the devil doesn't want him to have a printing press, you know, so it's not the devil, you know. And uh, she said, so in a little bit, she said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give him my ring. And I said, well, Jackie, if you're going to give him your ring, now you all have to know Brother Osteen. Renee knows this is true, and probably you guys know it's true too. John, John if he had seen Jackie come up to do it, he'd have made a big deal out of it. John had said, oh, my, 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 look at here. Here's this young missionary girl in dark in Mexico, and she's bringing her, her engagement ring to give for, for the God. I mean, hit him, hit him, hit him. And so I said, don't let John see you. I said, if you're going to give it, don't let Brother Osteen see you. I said, just go around the back and, uh, and, and just, just give it to the missionary and, and come back. Just don't let anybody know. She said, okay. So we prayed over it, and she went up and did that came back. And uh, from that point, that girl had diamonds running out her nose. In fact, I called her for years Diamond Lil, you know, because, I mean, diamonds came and diamonds went, and diamonds came and diamonds went. And Renee can tell you that's true. Diamonds came and went. And uh, I'd be in a church, and some lady would come up and say, here, I want you to give this to your wife, some big, nice diamond ring. I'd say, oh, no, no, she doesn't need that. I said, I've got a church in Zimbabwe, Africa, or i got a church in India, or I, I can build a church... You know, no, I want this to go to your wife. No, 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 let's not do that. Let's put it in missions. No, Brother Terry, God wants this to go to your wife. Take this to your wife. Okay. 
So, I mean, you know, diamonds would come, diamonds would go, diamonds would come, diamonds would go. But her, her giving that little old dinky diamond that I'd given her turned into diamonds because it's just, it's just the law of God. Well, where'd those diamonds come from? Well, they came from the other world. Y'all get anything out of all this? Well, stand up with me. Praise the Lord. It's 11.48. Don't tell anybody I quit before 12. That ruined my reputation. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But I want you to know there is that other world. There is that other world. It's just this close. And Paul tells us, do not look at what you can see. Don't look at this world. Don't get attached to this world. You need to get, in, you need to get familiar with this world. You look at what you can't see because God's got lots of money. He's got lots of healing. He's got lots of miracles. He's got lots of stuff. And he shares with us. And all we have to do is tap into that other world. Amen. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for ministering to us by the Holy Ghost this morning. Father, help us to know and realize and understand there is that other world that we're not just mere men, that we don't think like the world, talk like the world, smell like the world, act like the world, live like the world. This is not our home. We're citizens of heaven. We're citizens of that other world. And Father, we don't look. We, we absolutely go on a crusade here to do what Paul said, that we train ourselves to not look at what we can see and not be moved by what we can see and not be led by what we can see but we're moved by the word of God we're not moved by what we feel we're moved by the word and we don't look at this world we look at that world we look at the things we cannot see because the things we cannot see are eternal they'll last forever help us father in in our living in our talking in our giving, in everything we do, that we look to that other world. And we understand that other world is a limitless supply. There's no limits on the supply. There's no shortage of miracles. There's no shortage of finance. There's no shortage of healing. There's no shortage in your world, Father. And help us to understand that and to look into that other world and not be led by this one, but that one. To live not for this one, but for that one. To operate not for this one, but for that one. We're in this world, but you said we're not of this world. And so, Father, I thank you for it. I thank you for ministering to us by your spirit and that we constantly think the other world. We constantly think that. We think about the bank of heaven. We think about the, the healing of heaven. We think about the gifts of heaven. We think about the blessings of heaven. We think about the leading from heaven. We don't lock ourselves into this world because we're citizens of that world. And we thank you for it. I thank you for the miraculous. I thank you that we're not looking for the spectacular. We're not looking for the sensational. We are looking for and expecting and confessing and declaring and receiving the supernatural, the miracles of God. The supernatural. We have a supernatural God. And we receive the supernatural. 
and we thank you for it. We give you glory. Father, you've got more quail, you've got more manna, you've got more water, you've got more oil, you've got more meal, all those things. Father, I'm reminded there in the word where it says Jesus walked on the water and he got in the boat with the disciples. And it says there was a great calm, so there was no wind to shove the boat, to push the boat, to drive the boat. But it says, and immediately the boat was at the other side where we were going. You transported it. You translated it. You beamed them up, Scotty. They went into that world and then back into this world. And there they were at the shore where they'd been trying to get to in the first place. You did it with Jesus. You did it with Philip. You did it with a whole boatload of guys. And Father, you can do it with us. And I thank you for it. We give you glory and honor. We give you praise and majesty. We give you dominion. I pray blessings on this church. Increase on this church. Increase, Father, in blessings, strength and wholeness and wellness and soundness and miracles in the name of the Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And just lift one hand up to God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray healing. For those here in the house, for those watching online, for those listening in the future, I pray the tangible anointing and miracles, 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 miracles to grow what needs to grow, to create what needs to create, be created, to dissolve what needs to be dissolved, to drive out what needs to be driven out, what's not of God. In Jesus' name, I decree miracles. That we walk in miracles, we operate in miracles, we expect miracles, we receive miracles. And we thank you for it and give you the glory and the honor and the praise. The majesty, dominion. Father, thank you for a hunger in the church in America like never before. No surface noise, no, no that the unbelieving believers get believing and stay. And we thank you, Father, we receive your supernatural. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. We give you the glory. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, Pastor, Beth, or whoever's going to take this. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Y'all pray for us. We've got meetings set up in Malta which the Bible calls the Isle of Melita, where Paul, you know, shook the snake off in the fire. And in Zimbabwe, Africa, and in, in, we're working on meetings in Romania and Pakistan. So we've got a lot of things going on. So we, we certainly covet and appreciate your prayers. Thank you, sir. Amen. Well, after that, I think we would serve ourselves well to make our confession. This is our year of Jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you folks. Have a great day.